Good. Morning. This is very high this morning. Um, there we go. Great. Um, there is, oh, look at that. There's everywhere. There's pictures of people falling through the sky everywhere. Uh, that relates to the fact that we are starting a new series, um, which I will explain in, in a little bit, called Join the Adventure. And before we get to that, I thought it would be helpful just to reflect on something from the last few weeks. Um, it's been quite a significant few weeks for us as a church. Um, it may be that all sorts of things happen for you personally that have been significant. And uh, I pray that you will have had a good couple of weeks and a good few weeks to come as well. Um, but there's quite a bit that's happened for us together as a community. Obviously, much of that has been to do with the, the turning launch that we did. As well as that, there was um, a an offering received last week. And I announced in leading the area celebration last week that that offering had got up to about £100,000. Actually, in the week, it's risen to about 150, which is really, really good. So uh, there's something in that. There's setting us free from debt. I'm daring to believe that that's the beginning of more. Um, it so happens that the King Centre at the moment has had some inquiries which for, for big bookings here, which if they were to come off, would generate something like that level of um, payment into the charity again as well. And whether those come off or not, the point is that God has many ways and means of providing the finance that we need. So I want to say thank you to God and thank you to all those who've given so generously and to note this is a key moment. It's a milestone for us after years of paying down our mortgage at the sort of gentlest possible rate, there's a change of gear. And we've had a year in which we've been praying for upgrades, and an upgrade has just hit our corporate finances at that level, and for that I'm hugely grateful. And uh, there's much for which to thank God. That's one thing. I just wanted to pause and note that fact and say that matters. Um, as far as the turning launch goes, um, there are a number of numbers, or there is a number of numbers... There is a number of numbers that have been publicized. And the number that's probably done the rounds the most is the number 269. I don't know whether you've come across that number, 269. Uh, but that is the number of people that in six days prayed with some of our team on the streets of Oxford or Bicester, praying what we might call the sinner's prayer, that is saying, I want to give my life to you, Jesus, because I know my need for forgiveness and I want to be with you for eternity and to receive salvation. 269 people prayed that prayer. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? One of the conversations I have had repeatedly over the last few months with people has been, and, and what does that kind of number mean? Like, how many of those people really understood what was going on? How many of them were tourists from Japan who just wanted to be polite? And similar questions. And the truth is that we don't know what happened with everybody. Uh, what we do know is that, uh, well, here's a few things that we do know. More than half of those people, about 150 of those people, gave us their contact details. Well, that tells us something, that they weren't just trying to get rid of us. And those people are being followed up. And already I'm starting to hear stories of people meeting up with people and saying, well, 
almost apologetically saying, so it's sort of like you, you prayed a prayer or something, is that all, all, all right? And discovering that people not only meant it, they want to find out more, and they're eager to be fed spiritually in order to grow in this thing that they've become part of. Just starting to hear those stories, and there'll be more of them in the weeks and the months to come. It's going to take time for us to learn what we will learn about what happened in those people's lives. Quite a few of those people will never know what happened, but we're called to sow generously. And then all kinds of amazing things happen. Rachel was telling the story this morning of having stepped out and sown out and not knowing quite what would come of it. And then something just comes back over here of friends having an interest that was not connected in any way that we understand, but it's how it works. Our friends John and Non Bilson, who used to live on Osney Island just across the river and now live in Paris, where we sent them to plant a church, once had a season of giving themselves diligently to sewing out and sewing out and sewing out. For them, the form that that took over a number of months was helping prop up the pub around the corner and running pub quizzes because it was a community hub. And they did things there. And it culminated finally in them running an alpha course there. And three guests came to the alpha course. And before the first talk could be given, one of them had a heart attack and fell down dead which just stopped everything. <laughs> it was really shocking. Uh, within a few months, they had as many people, three people, come to them and in not so many words say, what must I do to be saved? Someone came and knocked on their door, a guy called, um, he's gone to be with the Lord now, Neil Anderson, lived right across the street from them, knocked on their door and said, I understand you're religious, I want to find out about that. Out of the blue, he came here and worshipped one Sunday. And in the worship, he was healed of a long-standing injury. Couldn't understand what had happened. God was at work. And we see that again and again and again. It's right for us to sow, and that's what we do. We don't understand all that's happening. Isn't it lovely to understand everything? It's an illusion that we understand everything. God calls us to sow, and he grants us the privilege of reaping as well. But so often, it's not our sowing that leads through in some step-by-step way to the conclusion that we long to see. But God is just at work. And what I have seen very clearly and heard in many conversations is how we, as people, those who engaged with the turning, whether on those evening encounters or going out on the streets, have been changed. And people have, been, have expressed to me their surprise at the change that has taken place. They didn't realize how much of God's love there was to receive that they'd not experienced before that would change them and change the way in which they speak about him. How the experience of going on the streets and talking to people regularly surprised people because almost all of the time people found that their, their cold contact evangelism was welcomed. I lost count of the number of people who came back and said, you know, that was rather surprising. Everybody was thankful and grateful. Um, I was hearing just over the weekend of one... What, hearing 
a further chapter in a story of which I'd already heard the first part. The first part of the story was someone who bumped into a friend on the streets and with someone else talking alongside them, explained what was going on, talked about God loving this person, having a plan for their life, and this friend saying, well, you know, I'm an atheist, and, you know, sort of thanks but no thanks. And then wondering what the next conversation would be like when they met again as friends. And this friend saying, with no awkwardness, no difficulty, no trying to avoid the subject, saying, you know, if other churches did more stuff like that, they wouldn't seem so much like institutions. I think, well, that was, and the point really is that that was unexpected. What many of us have been learning is how our expectations, our negative expectations, are out of kilter with reality. And it's been just a wonderful thing for people to experience that. Um, here's a few more numbers. There were 12 churches outside of Oxfordshire community churches involved. 12 local churches, seven others from within the city of Oxford. A total of 125 people joined in the team to go on the streets, 85 from this church alone. Everyone learned something. Even those very few people who had, a more, had more of a tough time and didn't find people quite so receptive as we've learned is normal, learned something from doing it and were grateful to have learned that. Um, Steve Chalk writes, um, action leads to insight more often than insight leads to action. And I believe that's what a lot of people have experienced, having spent years thinking about their evangelism and looking for an insight that would suddenly spring them into action. What many of us have discovered is that if we get on with some action, ignorant and nervous as we are, that through that comes learning, which is transforming for us. So talking of learning, we together must learn all that we can from the experiences of the last couple of weeks. And um, Simon in particular, Simon Jack, will be delighted to hear any feedback that you may have on um, your experience of that turning launch, any part of it, um, your ongoing experience of the follow-up, or if you weren't involved and found yourself stood at a distance and still have things to observe, um, you'd love to hear all of that, wouldn't you? Positive and negative, yeah. Yeah. We want to learn so that we can go forward more strongly together. So there we are. There will be, the the plan is for there to be further um, activity of the kind that we've begun. There will be monthly a Friday evening encounter followed by a Saturday morning out on the streets in June and in July. The plan for June is going to be the 9th and 10th of June, and in July, the 14th and 15th of July. So, actually, this is a moment, I want to say a few things here that might involve getting your diary out. So if you've got a diary, um, you might like to find it right now, because this is, I've got a couple of other dates to let you know about. Um, You know, everybody is welcome on those Friday evenings. It is not the case that if you come on the Friday evening, someone's going to do something to you that's going to then drag you out onto a street against your will. That's not going to happen. So those Friday evenings are very, very open to everybody and anybody. Again, we'll expect that there will be people from other churches that will join us as we encounter God ahead of that outreach. And we expect those to be precious and powerful times. 9th and 10th of June, 
14th and 15th of July. Um, the other two things that I'd like to, you just to hear about whilst you have your diary open are along these lines, that one of the delightful things about our doing this turning launch was the opportunity it gave for many of us to do something together. Uh, we gather on Sundays and we have communities in different parts of the city and we do things often organized through those groups. But this gave us an opportunity to do something together. And friendships were formed and deepened by doing that. And there's a few other things coming up together, not just for us, but for churches together in the city. And these are they. Firstly, next Saturday, there is a meeting for better understanding at Tyndale Community School, which is something that we do together with St. Oldates and St. Ebbs. And uh, there will be a talk. There will be two talks, one given by a Christian and one by a Muslim, followed by question and answers and food and the opportunity to make friends with, um, with Muslims who live in the city and also have conversation with Christians from other churches in the city. It's just a wholesome and a wholly good thing that occurs. Uh, it so happens that I'm speaking at the one this next Saturday, so you won't be shocked by the speaker. Um, you might be slightly bored of the speaker, but you won't be shocked by the speaker. Um, the subject chosen by our Muslim friends really is the angels of God. Uh, I'm not going to go down that little uh, rabbit hole, but um, it, it, it's a great opportunity for us, not just from you know, what one community or another community in the city. It's not a Tyndale community school thing particularly, that that's providing the venue um, and I'd like to invite anyone who has an interest in overcoming some of your fears, perhaps, of Islam, if those exist, and lack of knowledge of how to speak to Muslim friends. Wonderful opportunity to see that changed. Um, you get to hear all about angels, too. Um, that's next Saturday, 6.30 to 9 p.m., and includes food. And the other thing is here. Friday, the 2nd of June, in the evening, we are hosting a prayer meeting for all of the churches that go under the umbrella of Love Oxford. Friday the 2nd of June, 8 to 10 p.m. And uh, it would be great to see lots of us here and to pray together with people from across the city. There's something really wonderful and powerful about praying together as those different churches. And we'll be doing that ahead of our Sunday morning together planned for the 16th of July on Broad Street. So there we are. Um, there's a few things. Uh, it's all quite practical. It's good to be able to say all of those things. For the last year, uh, if you haven't been part of the church for a while, you might not have heard this, but for the last year, we've been praying for upgrades in our church life. And we've seen all our Sundays are way better than they were. Yeah, they are. They've been upgraded. Um, our finances, as of last weekend, are better than they were. <laughs> have been upgraded. Our confidence in the gospel, which has probably been the biggest sticking point for us for a number of years, it's like, how do we get this thing on our lips, has just been upgraded. Praise God. And I found myself praying before the meeting this morning, Lord, what other upgrades have you got in store for us? Yeah, there's more, because he has mercies that are fresh every morning. Praise God. So, to the subject matter for today, we have this series, Join the Adventure. And what we're going to do through this summer term is look at a number of subjects 
that will firstly remind those of us who are Christians just how cool the Christian life is. Yeah. And also cover the ground that people who are being followed up after the turning launch may well want to understand themselves and question. So this morning we're looking at the subject of church. And it's an opportunity for us to remember how cool the church is, but also for those who are having meetings with people following people up after that cold contact through the turning to uh, be reminded of that so that that will spill into those conversations as people quite reasonably ask, what is the church and what part might that have to play in their life? Here's the first thing to say about church. Church is not a place that you go to It is us, the people. I will probably say that a number of times because it's the most important point. Church is not a place that you go to. It's us, the people. And it is the biggest and the coolest family in the whole world. Um, We're going to watch a video, which some of you may have seen before. If you haven't, you're in for a treat. If you have then you'll know what's coming as soon as it starts. Here we go. They say, J. John, you know, what, what do you do? Uh, it's always very difficult to know what to say. Because if I say to you that I'm a reverend, which I am, that conjures up certain images in people's minds as to what I might be. So I like to be a little bit creative in telling people what I do. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport. And I said, hello. And she said, well, hello. And I said, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well. (laughs) I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. She said, have you? I said, yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioural alteration. She went, wow. And it was so loud, her wow. Loads of people turned around and looked at us. She says, what's it called? I said, it's called the church. There we go. That's true. That's us. That's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, And uh, not only is the church that most amazing social organization, what I want to say as well this morning is that the church is a unique spiritual phenomenon. Not just an amazing social organization, but the church is a unique spiritual phenomenon. God gives us a whole number of pictures in the Bible about what that phenomenon is, what the church is. And I've just put some of them up here. Uh, We are God's temple. That means he dwells in us. 
It's amazing. We're Christ's body. Every one of us absolutely part of him. With him as our head. We are the beloved bride. We've already been reminded of that this morning. God loves us with a tender intimacy that goes beyond anything anyone ought to expect from a religion. We are branches in the vine. Life comes to us through our connection with Christ, and we're fruitful because of him. We are the flock of the good shepherd. He cares for us. He ensures that we're well fed. He provides a place of safety and security for us. We're God's family. He himself is our father, and our place is to be his children, not his servants, not some functionaries doing the business, but his children, daughters and sons. And we're God's field. It says in 1 Corinthians 3 that he's growing us. And whatever people do, sowing seeds, watering, those sorts of activities that are meant to bring about growth, nonetheless, it's God who brings the increase. He is determined to grow us. You know, sometimes... People say that they like Jesus, just not the church. I want to suggest to you this morning that that's because they are unaware of this spiritual reality. We could come up with all sorts of ways of explaining the church to people. But what people need to understand is not how brilliantly organized we are socially, how carefully we manage things and how responsible we are, but that we are a unique spiritual phenomenon. If people say that they like Jesus but not the church, the key thing that's going on is actually a failure to see the church for what it is. That is something that will be said by people who don't see the glory that's in the temple by people who aren't receiving the nervous impulses that come from Christ the head, from people who have not experienced the touch of the bridegroom's tender love, from people who don't know that sap flowing in the vine that strengthens and brings fruitfulness beyond anything that we could have drummed up ourselves. It's something said by people who don't hear the shepherd's voice as he talks tenderly to each of his flock. You don't know the father of the family. See, the need is not so much for us to explain the church, but to invite people to experience the church. We, the church, are not just another faith community, but the place where God dwells. God is here amongst his people. And the need is not for us to explain the church, but to proclaim the gospel through which people are born again so that they might be made alive to the spiritual reality that is the church. And we can do that by inviting people to experience this spiritual phenomenon And we can proclaim something in our daily lives that God may just take and use to open people's eyes to a spiritual reality that they can then see at work amongst God's people. 
Now, here we go. I was very grateful for what Keith shared about not having to do things, but being invited by God to do things. I had a PowerPoint slide along those lines. It's not that we've got to go to church, but that we get to gather as church. It's not that we've got to go to church, but that we get to gather as church. It's an opportunity and a privilege. This unique spiritual phenomenon that we can connect with, this church, which is the marvel of the ages, it really is, a miracle of God, God's own people. Churches are colonies of heaven here on earth. And here, as church, yes, there are new friends to meet, uh, and there are good deeds to be done together. But in addition to that good social stuff, there is worship that revives our inner being. There is prayer that alters history. There are revelations of truth that come through God's word that will astonish us. There are gifts to give and gifts to receive, spiritual gifts such as healing and miracles and prophecy. There is forgiveness of sins and assurance of having been forgiven our sins. And here there is a communion with God that satisfies the deepest aches of our souls. Now, it's not that we are perfect. (laughs) It's not that we are perfect as God's church. As it's written in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, our spiritual life is like treasure in jars of clay. I don't know about you, when I look at the church, like you, I can sometimes see much that is muddy and mundane. Uh, but then I also see, I also see the glint and the shimmer of the eternal preciousness within, which God has placed there. There is treasure in these jars of clay. There is treasure. The clay is real. And maybe you've experienced a fair portion of that in your life. But the treasure is just as real, if not more so. It's a spiritual deposit placed there by the Holy Spirit, who is at work amongst his people. Now, when the early church received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they loved what they saw. This deposit of the Holy Spirit, this outpouring of his spiritual life. And they continued to see signs and wonders. They enjoyed the favor of the people. What did they do? Having received the Holy Spirit, this treasure from heaven, what did they do as this unique spiritual phenomenon was birthed in Jerusalem? Well, the scripture says that they devoted themselves to gathering together. It's like an instinctive response to this spiritual reality, was to connect and be with one another. I'm going to read from the scriptures that describe this, from Acts chapter 2. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's an intense togetherness that we read in those verses. They came together as a natural, instinctive response to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and his miraculous power. When they did that, you might have noticed there were two kinds of gathering that took place. There were public gatherings and domestic gatherings. Uh, They gathered in the temple and they gathered in one another's homes. Uh, That picture on the left is of a public meeting under a tree, which is the best place to have a meeting in warmer parts of the world. Uh, In a public place, because here in Acts chapter 2, the point about the temple is not that it was a sanctuary. It's not that it was a holy place that they were meeting. What matters about the temple was that it was a public place. And why do I say that? It's because as we read through the book of Acts and we see what the early church did, they didn't construct other sacred places in which to gather, but they went to the available public spaces in which to meet, whether that might be a synagogue or in Philippi, a public place of prayer or a place of teaching like the Hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus or they went, or Paul going to the Areopagus, a, play, a public place of debate. The church sought out public places to meet, and it was 300 years before the early church had anything like its own sanctuary. So the fact is that this hall in which we're meeting, this isn't a sanctuary. This isn't a holy place. And it's actually brilliant that this is a hall that is used by the public. It's a public place into which many thousands of people come every year for all kinds of diverse purpose. That makes us more like the early church. We're meeting in a public place, not in a special place for Christians. Meeting in a place like this enables us to connect with new people. The point of meeting somewhere public is that it's open to many. And these meetings that we have here, they're open to many. Whomever wants to come may do so. The virtue of the domestic meeting is that it's more personal. It's a place where meals are shared around a table, where personal and close relationships can form, where mutual care and support is natural, where we are able to love one another, to accept one another, to be kind to one another, when needed, to confess our sins to one another and speak truth to one another, to serve one another. That's why our vision as a church is not simply to build up a Sunday meeting, but to grow communities across the city, 
to grow communities across the city that bring heaven to earth, that each one of which is a little colony of heaven, a place where family can form. We do have these communities uh, in different parts of the city. Many of you will be part of them. It's part of what the early church did, and it's what we are called to do. What do we do both on a Sunday as we gather in this more public format and in our homes. Well, we do the things that this early church did. It's there for us in Acts 2. There is learning that goes on. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That doesn't just mean learning some facts. It's not just learning what is true, but also learning how to live. There are things that are commanded of us and as we gather together, I mean, we're learning now about the church from the scriptures, there's many other things that we will learn about Sunday by Sunday. And as we gather in homes too, there are things for us to learn, particularly by opening the pages of scripture and being devoted, as were the early church, to the apostles' teaching, not just to learn it as stuff, but to learn to obey it. Sharing. Well, these people shared their homes, possessions, money. We share in all kinds of ways with one another. And that's obviously more intense in those uh, gatherings that go on in people's homes, in our communities across the city. Eating. Ha. You know, it's been observed to me by people that have much more experience than I do that no church community ever thrives without eating meals together regularly. And I've seen that to be true in my experience. There's something profound about eating together. And actually, the phrase that's used in, in Acts several times over is that they broke bread together, which implies a meal, but it implies more than just a meal, because we have had passed on to us that which Jesus said about breaking bread and sharing a cup of wine to remember him. These were meals in which Christ was remembered. These were God-aware Meals, meals where people pause to pray and say grace, not just because it was the right thing to do, but to remind themselves that Christ was with them by the power of the Spirit as they ate together, eating together, praying together, and praising God together. Those are things which people did in the early church, and we continue to do today as part of the same amazing spiritual phenomenon that broke out at that first Pentecost. Just want to add one more word. Daily. And um, I've hesitated over this slightly because everything that I've said so far, I hope, has just been an encouragement and, and not really a push, but just an encouragement that that's the reality of who we are. But in this word, there is a bit of a, a, bit of a push to us. Because it says a couple of times over, daily. In Acts, it said that every day they met in the temple courts and people were added to their number daily. There is an intensity of community life that the early church engaged in, and it would be remiss of us in our devotion to the scriptures to just skip over that. If anything, we live in a culture in which engagement with church has become thinner. Uh, it used to be the case that the whole of a Sunday was given over to being with God's people one way or another. 
morning and evening and lunch with a family, perhaps in between times. That shifted as I was growing up to typically joining in for one moment on a Sunday, probably a Sunday morning, or if you didn't like getting up in the morning, just a Sunday evening. And it's shifted further. It's common for people to gather with God's people two, three times a month, sometimes less often than that. Similar questions could be spoken about our, the communities that we have that meet outside of Sundays. Um, fact of the matter is that none of us, and even I, and I'm paid by you lot to be able to do this kind of stuff. Um, even I'm not doing these things daily. I'm not sat in a, you know, it's not like every single day I'm learning. And so I'm not pointing a finger at anyone. I'm saying there is a call here to greater engagement. There's a call to greater engagement with the community of God's people. And as Keith said earlier, it's, it's not an ought to thing. It's an invitation. There is more resource and life and peace and joy and freedom to be enjoyed amongst God's people than any of us are yet experiencing. So the invitation is, come on in, enjoy more. And if you've got a little bit jaded about, is it really worth turning up to that house group? Is it really worth coming on a Sunday? My prayer is that for every one of us, God would open our eyes to the reality of what we are. The coolest family on earth. With the life of God buzzing amongst us. That's who we are. If our eyes are open to that, it will change our choices and we will enjoy far, far more. I think we're going to finish by thanking God for allowing us into this amazing family.